Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. When she was a young lawyer, Khalud al-Fakir walked into the office of Palestinians Chief Justice and uh, Palestine's Chief Justice rather, and announced that she wanted to join the bench. He laughed at her. Just a few years later, she became the first woman judge to be appointed to the Middle East Sharia courts. The Judge is a new uh, film from Salt Lake City-based and Emmy-winning director Erica Cohn, and it offers a unique portrait of Judge Gulud, her brave journey as a lawyer, her tireless fight for justice for women, her drop-in visits with clients, friends, and family, and with unparalleled access to the courts. The film presents an unfolding verite legal drama with rare insight in both Islamic law and gender justice. In the process, the film illuminates some of the universal conflicts in the domestic life of Palestine, custody of children, divorce, abuse, while offering an unvarnished look at life for women and Sharia. The judge debuted at the Toronto International Film Festival. Erica Cohn joins us from KCPW Studios in Salt Lake City. Erica Cohn, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. Did I say the name of the judge correctly? Yes, Khulud al-Faqih. Khulud al-Faqih, okay. You said it better than I did, but... Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, so uh, I'm, I'm very interested, and uh, people may have been familiar with a previous film, it, your most uh, recent film before this, In Football We Trust. Very interesting story. Um, how did you get connected up with uh, with the judge here? What's actually interesting, I was on shooting hiatus within Football We Trust in 2012 and had received a Rotary Ambassadorial Scholarship to teach film in Israel-Palestine and continue my postgraduate research in Islamic feminism. I had previously studied Middle East studies and film and um, done a lot of work with women in Islam and the history of women in Islam. So had an opportunity to continue that research at Hebrew University. And one day a dear friend and colleague invited me to this Islamic reform meeting that was happening at the Palestinian Authority headquarters in Ramallah, which is the capital of the West Bank. And I remember walking into this conference room and seated at a table full of um, men in tarbushes, which are the hats that judges and sheikhs wear. And looking around the room, you know, I saw pictures of Yasser Arafat throughout the years and maps of Palestine throughout the years. And all of a sudden, Judge Khulud walked in and my presence, or my, my gaze immediately shifted to her. And she had this presence that was just really unbelievable that radiated throughout the room. And as the meeting went on, I listened to her speak about how Palestine's legal challenges disproportionately affect women and discussing how to raise the marriage age and how to deal with domestic violence and new custody laws and divorce and polygamy. And after the meeting, we had a chance to officially engage, and I learned that she had been a lawyer representing women who were survivors of domestic violence previously and felt like she could best catalyze change in the Sharia courts, which specifically deal with family issues. And there had never been a judge in the in the Sharia courts in the Middle East, and she actually turned to the Sharia text to justify her position and had presented it to the chief justice. And I told her I thought her story was fascinating. And she invited me into her courtroom. And I'm telling you, Tom, that was really the minute that I pinched myself. The moment that I walked into her courtroom and saw her adjudicating somewhere between 40 and 60 cases a day, acting as part judge, part lawyer, lawyer, part marital therapist, part counselor, and just had this unbelievable command of the room. 
Um, and I, you know, I'm, I'm watching some of these cases, and I'm, I'm thinking to myself, you know, these these cases are not so dissimilar to the cases that we're dealing with in the U.S. Maybe they're in a, a little bit of a different looking courtroom. Although I will say now I've learned that the Brooklyn court family courts uh, look quite similar to the Sharia courts in the in the West Bank. But after after this day, I, I spoke to Khulud and said, you know, I I. F- I don't know if you've ever thought about being in a film, but I think that your experiences really highlight an, a more nuanced understanding of Sharia and can provide imagery of strong Muslim women, which we rarely get to see in the Western world, and perhaps present a different view of Palestine than we really get to see in the Western world as well. And she said, well, that's amazing, Erica. I've been waiting for someone to to come along. Um, and uh, she said, I, I would really like to exponentially reach women and girls around the world to help encourage them to pursue leadership roles in their communities, despite whatever cultural norms or traditions might exist. And uh, thus the film was born. Mm. A very interesting film. Um, why did she, she was a lawyer, right? She was working with, uh, I guess, many women who were encountering problems what was the what was the main reason she wanted to become a judge yeah within the sharia courts it's it's very you know the sharia courts post colonization in most countries in the middle east specifically deal with family matters and it's very difficult for a woman to come and speak to a male judge about some of the marital problems she is having. It's just rather taboo to talk about some of the most intimate matters. It's taboo to talk about violence within the home to a male judge. And so she felt like, one, her presence in being a woman judge would enable women to come forward with their cases and would be more friendly, you know, or welcoming to women to begin with. And two, she really felt like women don't know their rights. Women don't know what they don't know. And the Sharia actually can help women through a variety of situations and um, can help women obtain their rights if women know the law. So she felt like her presence in being a judge and and beyond that, she really works very hard to speak to women's groups, to visit um, women around Palestine and, and educate them about their rights. So I, th- I think that, that was it was twofold. Uh, maybe you could uh, explain a little bit to us how the court system works there. My understanding from the film is that... Uh, most other matters are handled in the secular courts, civil courts. The family matters are handled in Sharia courts, which is what is based on, based on the Quran, based uh, based on religion. Yeah, in in most countries in in the Middle East, uh, the Sharia courts deal with the family issues, and then they have. Um, like, for example, in, in Israel, they have the rabbinic courts, which would deal with family issues, um, the family courts for for Jewish people. And there's also a Christian court. Um, and then there's the civil slash criminal system in pa- Palestine. So there's really not a lot of crossover. The only time there, there would be crossover within the Sharia and the civil or criminal courts would be if there was a, a case that involved um, a crime that was a part of a divorce or part of a family matter. So, for example, if there was um, spousal abuse or domestic violence in a home that ultimately resulted in a custody battle or a divorce, that the custody would be decided or the divorce would be decided in the Sharia, but then the actual um, criminal charge would be dealt in the criminal courts. Hmm. Uh, that's a the theme of the film, uh, Sharia, right? And it's it's 
we we hear the word in the in the United States and in certain circles, it's uh, it's fear mongering, right? Sharia is coming yeah. to certain towns, and this is. Um, and with all the baggage that that word has, at least in in some circles in the West. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. I think that um, our our Western media chooses to focus on some of the very extreme cases, and in reality, Sharia is a is an literally means the path or the way, um, and r- provides a framework many like many other legal framework to achieve justice, um, and it, in reality. Is, is a matter of interpretation, and interpretation differs from place to place, um, region to region, time to time. And so it's very difficult to paint with a broad brushstroke that this is what Sharia is or isn't. And it's, um, I think, one of the, one of the characterizations um, in the film, if I understood it correctly, is that Sharia is mischaracterized also in the Middle East. There's some misunderstandings. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I think... There's so much, I would say this really parallels our legal system as well, is that if you don't know your rights, you cannot achieve justice. And um, a lot of people in the Middle East feel like women can't be judges, or there's a lot of misinformation about what rights someone is able to to obtain or what someone can, you know, for example, put in their marriage contract, which is essentially like a prenuptial agreement or what custody laws, or how to create um, a will that um, that is according to the Sharia that allows your family to have, you know, what you hope for them to have um, in your passing. There's there's so many different things that people don't really know about. So I think it is a system that's largely mischaracterized both in the U.S. Um, and in the Middle East. So for different reasons. Um, so. Uh, judge Hulud uh, encountered some. I mean, this chief judge, Chief Justice, he was convinced. Well, let's start there. Um, she did some research, right? And and she presented to him. Well, there's no prohibition, and at least as some schools of thought would allow it, a woman judge in the Sharia courts. Yes, you know what's interesting is is Judge Hulud started announcing to the world that she was going to become a judge at age 25. And from age 25 to age 31, 32, she worked on finding the the proof that women could be judges, presenting a legal argument, taking the judicial, judicial exam, which includes a written and oral portion. And then at um, 31, right before she turned 32 years old, she became the first woman judge uh, in in the Sharia courts in the Middle East. And, you know, she's she's now she now turned 40. She's 40 now. And here's this woman who's so young and so remarkable. Um, it's it's pretty impressive that she she worked for so many years and so at such a young age to be able to prove the world that this is what was going to happen. Now, the chief justice who appointed her it was a big breakthrough. Uh, he was removed from office about a year later. Right. And there's been a couple chief justices since. Yes. <laughs> Through the process of filming, there have been three different chief justices. And as you can imagine, although Khulud 
welcomed us as filmmakers into her home and her courtroom, we had to request access from the chief justices um, each time a new one was appointed to have full access to the courts. And each time it became a little bit more difficult. Um, And in the final case, um, I was literally camped outside of the chief justice's office waiting for a moment to meet with him. And after about two weeks, um, you know, we had been shooting a lot of you know, sunsets and um, <laughs> gold, you know, gold jewelry stores and people walking through the streets. And um, my cinematographer called me and she's like, how, how is it going in there? You know, I've, I've only shot, you know, about 10 sunsets. I'm not sure how many we're going to need in the film. And I said, I, I think we're so close. I think we're so close. And I finally got about five minutes with the with the chief justice and um, again, was able to to get access that latter time. Let's take a break. We're going to come back more of uh, Kaluda Fakir's uh, story. First, uh, first woman judge on the uh, Sharia uh, court to bench in uh, Palestine. Uh, when we come back, I want to talk about um, opposition. And uh, you could have predicted opposition. There certainly was opposition to this, uh, a, a very new thing. Um, one quote from one scholar, the proof is that there's never been a female judge. So that's the <laughs> that's a catch-22 proof, right? Uh, and there's some even more shocking uh, quotes. We'll get to those uh, following this break. When pianist Charlie Albright was a kid, his jazz piano teacher thought he could benefit from seeing a classical teacher. The idea was that I was going to do an, a year of classical music and then go back to what I called the fun stuff. Charlie Albright plays some of the fun stuff on the next Performance Today from APM. Tonight at 9 on Utah Public Radio. This week on Undisciplined, we're talking about the way people and animals move from place to place. First, we'll talk to Rick Geddes about a new idea for reducing traffic. Then we'll chat with Lori Spears about how to keep non-native insects out of North America. The transportation economist and the insect ecologist. That's Undisciplined, Friday at 2. Today's Access Utah episode was first broadcast in May of this year. Thanks for joining us for Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams, and we are talking about a uh, new film uh, from Salt Lake City-based and Emmy-winning director Erica Cohn. It's called The Judge, and it uh, looks at uh, the, the case, the life of Hulud al-Fakir, um, who announced, as Erica Cohn's been saying, uh, at age 25 she's going to become the first female judge in the Sharia courts. There never been uh, such, at least in Palestine, and uh, she achieved that, and uh, now just a few more female judges, still not many, in the Sharia courts there in Palestine. Extraordinary individual, and uh, the film is out as it debuted at the Toronto International Film uh, Festival. So Erica Cohn, uh, um, Judge Kulud has uh, achieved her dream. She's uh, on the bench, um, but uh, still, I think, Probably to this day, there is some uh, opposition. I just want to read this. This is, uh, it really stood out to me. Um, pretty, pretty strong statement. And, uh, uh, well, I'll just read it. This is from the film. This is a Sharia scholar talking about a, a woman judge. If she gives birth, if she's pregnant or bleeding, she is bound by these things which affect her work. He's saying by 
I guess by biology, by her nature, she can't can't do this kind of work. Yeah, it's so it's so interesting. I mean, that was one of a <laughs> one of the more challenging interviews with um, uh, Hassan Adin, um, who's a scholar in Palestine and has a very large following throughout the Middle East and also in the U.S. And what was so fascinating to me about Hassan Adin is he respects Judge Hulud and also the first marriage officiant uh, in Palestine, Tahrir, first woman marriage officiant, Tahrir Hamad, um, who was actually his student. He respects them as scholars and intellectuals um, and respects them for their achievements, but is tremendously opposed to them being in these positions. Though he said, you know, I wouldn't mind if women were doctors, teachers, but within the Sharia courts, absolutely not. You know, there has never been a woman judge. And of course, you know, I studied Islamic feminism and I um, it to me, there have been so many women leaders and so many women jurists throughout the history of Islam. Um, after the interview, we had a chance to debate this. Um, but during, you know, during the interview, really, my my role was to be able to provide a platform for some of the opposition to voice their opinions, because she does deal with this on a daily basis. And when she was appointed in 2009, she faced a lot of opposition. It was very tangible. Um, now it's it's more, you know, conversations, some societal opinions, but no one is really um uh, opposed to her in the visceral way that they were when she was a first appointed. You said after you uh, after you stopped filming, you then had a debate. What uh, yes. what was <laughs> what was his response then? What was the, what was the the back and forth? You know, uh, um, some of the back and forth was about the first woman leaders and the um, the Prophet Muhammad, uh, may he rest in peace, first uh, first wife who supported him and was, in my in my opinion, one of the really the first founding feminists of, of Islam. And you know, he we disagreed tremendously. Um, but uh, and I think his go-to line was, "Well, you're American, so it's a different it's a different understanding." Um, but it was it was uh, an interesting conversation, nonetheless. I'm interested in maybe broadening this out, and you've studied Islamic Islamic feminism. I'm interested be the the issues, um, you know, Palestine versus the the U.S. Some would be the same, I guess. Some would be different. Yeah, what's so interesting in in Palestine is. Though this is a recent advancement in terms of women's rights within the Sharia or religious court framework, I mean, to this day, women are not allowed to be judges in the Christian courts or the rabbinic courts. So this is really all of the religious courts in general. But Palestine has been at the forefront of women's rights and the feminist movement for hundreds of years. I mean, you have amazing women leaders coming out of Palestine, like Hanan Ashrawi, for example, that many many of us know of. Um, and so this isn't a recent phenomenon. Um, Palestine is one of the most educated societies in the entire Middle East, has the highest uh, rate of education among women, um, is a very intellectual place. And a lot of the feminist conversation and women's rights conversation started in Palestine actually long before we started these conversations in, in the U.S. Um, so, of course, Palestine has um, a, a unbelievable amount of challenges, and especially legally, when we talk about Palestine's legal backdrop, 
Judge Holud likes to describe it as a cocktail of laws, which I, I love so much. It really paints a picture of, of what that kind of framework looks like. And it's a mix of Ottoman, British mandate, Jordanian, Israeli, and the Abu uh, Hanifa Islamic uh, school of thought or the, the, that particular interpretation of Islam. So it's this mix, um, which we don't really have in the U.S., and in fact, um, difference in laws sometimes if you go between West Bank and Gaza, right? Oh, absolutely. The West Bank has a different legal system than East Jerusalem, which is different than West Jerusalem, which is different than the 1948 is. Um, Israel borders, which is different than Gaza. And so, you know, how do you create a uniformity of a a uniform legal system when there's no uniformity within each particular place? It's very, very difficult. You can't even you can't even subpoena someone from a specific other place without um, assistance from either Israel or from Egypt. And then there's the difficulties of everyday life in uh, in that area. At one scene in the, the film, uh, the man complains. Well, I, you know, I, I couldn't get here on a certain day. The the judge reprimands him, so I couldn't get here because of the checkpoints. Yes. Yeah, mobility is extremely difficult. And you know, I have one anecdote from actually filming there. Um, I I really wanted to transport viewers into an experiential Palestine that many of us will never be able to personally on the ground experience. And a Palestinian culture is so beautiful and so warm, and oftentimes we're never exposed to uh, Palestine in that way because the occupation overshadows that. And so one of the ways that I wanted to transport viewers into this kind of uh, whole, you know, immersive experience was to be able to show Palestine through drone aerials. And it's incredibly difficult to put a drone up in the West Bank because you can't fly it near a checkpoint. You can't fly it near the wall. You have to be very careful of security issues. So the only place that you can fly a drone is most times in the middle of a, of a city or in the middle of a village. And I was fully prepared for people to come running out of their houses saying, you know, what kind of surveillance is this? It's very concerned because those are typically the only drones that people are exposed to there. But instead, people came running out of their homes with coffee and cakes saying, thank you so much for showing the world a Palestine that they have never seen before. Mm. And that to me was very profound. Yeah, yeah. I'd like to return to this, uh, this, um, maybe the broader topic of Islamic feminism. Um, Education, of course, would be very important, how both boys and girls are taught. Um, I was thinking in the U.S., uh, you know, education would be... K through twelve, but uh, but be very important to the university how that's taught there. Media um, in Palestine, where what are the factors, and does it does that include religious education? Yeah, it's it's very similar to the U.S. I mean, you can send your kids to to a private school. Um, most of the private schools are uh, Christian schools. Um, there's uh, religious education, religious like textbooks. Um, there's the equivalent of like public schools as well. So, so people have a plethora of options. Um, Judge Khulud, uh, at one point she says, I, I'm shocked by our religious education. What she, what did she shocked by? Yeah. And, and this is not, um, the religion itself. It's more of people who are 
educating the youth about um, about the religious texts. And in one example, she said there's a there's a picture of of a woman next to a devil and um, she felt like that was really wrong and giving the wrong impression and wanted to change the way that children are being taught about the religion and making sure that there is um, some sort of oversight or some sort of um, acknowledgement um, and and deeply the education is deeply rooted in the Quran instead of instead of it being open to interpre- interpretation. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about the uh, man on the street, especially the woman on the street. You, you yes. got some interviews, and it uh, <laughs> I was I was surprised by a few of these, and perhaps you'd get the same if you did uh, you know person on the street in the U.S. Uh, one quote: This is from a woman. Talking about, uh, what do you think about a, a female judge in Sharia courts? Uh, this woman said, a man can separate his mind and his heart, so his judgment would be better than a woman's. Yeah. You know, um, I think oftentimes women can be their own worst enemies. And, um, I mean, we saw that here in the U.S. with um, Hillary Clinton running for office. And there's still, I mean, it's... It, this idea that women are too emotional to be in these high up political or judicial positions. Um, and it's it, like you said, it's, it would be similar here in the U.S. as well. Um, you know, there's men, men supporting women, women against women. It's it's a it's a plethora of opinions. But I felt it was really important to highlight that some women are not supportive and would actually prefer to go to a male judge instead of a woman. Mm. Uh, so still, uh, probably to this day, right? Uh, to this day, yeah. Yeah. Um, so th- there was another uh, woman judge appointed about the same time as uh, Judge Khulud, and then a couple more, but it, but this hasn't uh, opened floodgates. It hasn't, though. I will say we we had picture locked the film last summer. At this point, um, Khulud's uh, protege had not been appointed. And we were trying to figure out a way to incorporate Hulud's protege being appointed. And, you know, we're we're weeks away from our Toronto International Film Festival premiere. But it's such it was so important to us to be able to find a way to incorporate that um, because it is it is a message of hope that the that Hulud's influence will continue to inspire women to both in Palestine and around the, the rest of the world to, per, to pursue um, these judicial positions. And, and since Hulud's appointment, there's now a woman judge in the UAE. There's a woman trying to become a judge in Jordan. There were additional women judges appointed in Malaysia. Um, Indonesia uh, was has had women judges. I mean, of course, they're not in the Middle East, but Indonesia has had women judges for a very long time in the Sharia courts. Um, but it really wasn't until after Khulud's appointment did Malaysia follow suit. What difference uh, do you think, uh, you know, having filmed her, um, what difference do you, do you think it makes having a woman there? It makes a, a tremendous difference. I mean, I've I sat and observed um, and filmed some of the the proceedings in male judges' courtrooms as well as Khulud's uh, courtroom, as you as you will see in the film. Um, but the degree that women share, feel comfortable sharing, and the details in which they give to Judge Khulud are completely different than what they give to a male judge. I mean, it's really profound. Mm. Tell me about some of the cases that uh, the, I, was, I was interested to see, kind of the variety of cases, uh, some very touching, some 
you know, disturbing. Um, this is family, family stuff, right? So, um, yes. you got custody, you've got, uh, husbands abandoning wives. Uh, for one, maybe we could start here. It seems to be a concern, a big stigma on a wife abandoning her family, maybe less so a husband abandoning his. Yeah, one of my favorite moments in the film is when Judge Hulud is speaking to a women's group and she is taking people's questions and, you know, within that you you see people's misunderstanding of Sharia and um, you have women asking how the law can actually help them and their husbands have left or they're dealing with custody issues and someone in this meeting asks, you know, Judge Khulud, we this we talk all you know about these battered women, but what about the men who are battered too? Not physically, but more of an, an emotional um, batterment, where the women want to leave their husbands and their children. You know, where do where do the men go in this case? And and Khulud says, well, we should be treating this exactly how we how we do with men. Men leave their their wives all the time. You know, it's it's just you know we should be looking at this in the exact same exact same way a woman has a right to leave her family just as like as a man does and this whole room erupts in chaos and everyone is screaming over the another person having totally different opinions and um i thought it was fascinating that you know judge Hulud's quote you know just as a, a man kicks his wife out a woman should be able to kick her husband out and that that was pretty revolutionary <laughs> um of course you know we can't see her in that role as a judge. I mean, she's really upholding the law where she's a little bit more informal in these um, kind of one-on-one or group discussions where she's educating women about their rights. Um, And, you know, as you see in the film, she is very firm about upholding justice in in the court. And um, it it was so interesting for me filming. I mean, it's it, it was incredibly difficult to film because you know, she has, like I said before, 40 to 60 cases a day. And so this is within about a six hour time period. So I'm sitting in a corner of this eight by 10 courtroom and don't have a lot of mobility. I can't move around during a case. As people come into the courtroom, I ask them, are you, you know, are you you willing to be filmed? It's for a documentary, et cetera, et cetera. And in the cases where people said yes, and I did have full access, um, you know, there's different parts of a proceeding where you have to stand and sit out of respect when people swear on the Quran. And so there's a lot of, you know, movement on my end in terms of being able to to film and stand and sit at different parts. And then we had a GoPro in the other corner of of the courtroom, which, you know, as you probably know, the batteries don't last very long. So the batteries would die in the middle of a case and I wouldn't be able to change the batteries. So even in a perfect situation where someone said, yes, you can film everything, it was really difficult to capture due to the uh, due to technology and due to the restraints of the room. And then in cases where someone would say, you know, I don't want to be named, you can record my audio, but please don't use my name or my likeness. Or you can maybe film my hands and my feet, but I don't want, you know, I need to preserve my anonymity. It became a challenge of how do we recreate this? How do we visually demonstrate the challenges that, that uh, you know, the individuals who are coming in are dealing with, um, or in some cases, how do we recreate something that has happened in the past? Uh, one thing that uh, struck me 
uh, a difference. I mentioned there'd be some similarities, and I'll ask you about that. But a difference uh, in the U.S., so we try to make the the, the the court building pretty imposing, right? Mm. Uh, you know, marbled and and uh, it, it probably be kind of spacious. But uh, the exterior of this is looks like just any other building, and the sign above it is a little crooked. And you go in, yes. and, <laughs> and and it's a very small room. Yes. Yeah, really, you know, over the course of filming, I mean, the the difficulty in Palestine is that they rely so much on outside funding because of the um, economic challenges as a result of the political situation. So at, at some points there were no computers, um, you know, the, the clerk was writing things by hand. Then they were able to get um, computers at another point, so they were able to type things out. There was no air conditioning in some of the courts, whereas other courts, they did have air conditioning. Um, it's really interesting to see that. And, you know, Judge Hulud says the Sharia courts are actually some of the most efficient in dealing with caseload. I mean, can you imagine going to one of our courts and a, and a judge seeing 60 cases a day? I mean, that would be absurd. That would just be absurd. Um, so so the Sharia courts are actually much more efficient and, and really pride themselves in being, um, you know, quick and, um, and able to see a lot of people. Mm. And you mentioned rabbinical courts and Christian courts uh, still don't have female judges. That's right. You know, women um, have been within Israel have been struggling for decades to be able to have um, women judges and um, in the rabbinic courts. And it's actually really interesting. It's much harder to get a divorce in uh, Judaism uh, in the rabbinic courts than it is for women in the Sharia courts. And there have been a lot of amazing articles and books and films on the process of getting a what's called a get um, in the rabbinic courts or a divorce in the rabbinic courts. Um, recently, Israel, uh, the Sharia courts within Israel, um, uh, appointed their first woman judge as well. Um, let's take another break. When we come back, I want to talk a little bit more about uh, some of the cases and some of the issues, uh, including domestic violence. Uh, polygamy is, uh, I guess, an, an issue. And, and as, as I was viewing the film, reading about it as well, I was thinking, oh, that's exotic. But then I remembered, okay, we'd, <laughs> here, here in southern Utah, northern Arizona, we've got, yes. uh, got polygamy. <laughs> it's not so exotic after all. Um, and uh, raising the marriage age. Um, which there have been issues in some states uh, here in the United States. I want to talk about those, and I want to talk about um, Judge Kulud's uh, family. Her father seems like an interesting uh, character, uh, somewhat progressive, it, it seems like. I'll uh, test that with you. Uh, we have Erica Cohn with us. Uh, her film uh, is called The Judge, and it takes the case of a young lawyer, Khulud al-Fakir, who uh, wanted to become a, a Sharia court judge. She was able to realize that dream, and uh, she is now serving on the bench. One of few female judges in Sharia courts. Um, the judge debuted at the Toronto International Film Festival. More following this. Okay. Most people get excited when they see a beaver dam and the beautiful pools that build up behind them but not a lot of people think about what's happening around the dam. Beavers have been nature's architects for thousands of years, shaping the environment around their dams in incredible ways. The saturated soil around the dam helps spur new plant growth and increases wildlife activity. The dams themselves reduce flood and erosion impacts by slowing down fast-moving spring runoff and stabilizing the soil. In fact, many conservation biologists are actively studying ways to encourage beaver dam construction Thanks to USU professor Joe Wheaton, 
for all his work in advancing the idea of partnering with beavers for restoration projects. This Conservation Conversation was brought to you by the Utah Conservation Corps, an AmeriCorps program based at Utah State University with the mission to develop the conservation leaders of tomorrow through service and education. Find out more at usu.edu backslash UCC. Europe is a step ahead of America in dealing with the problem of fake news. If we look at the European Union, there's a lot more work that's done on funding media literacy, on reining in search engines and social network sites, generally on controlling fake news. I'm Sarah McConnell. Join me for With Good Reason. Wednesday morning at 4 on Utah Public Radio. Today's Access Utah episode was first broadcast in May of this year. Thanks for joining us for Access Utah. We reached our last segment with Erica Cohn. She is an Emmy Award-winning director, um, and uh, she's Salt Lake City-based. She's joining us from KCPW Studios in Salt Lake City. Our thanks to the good folks at KCPW. Um, And her new film, very interesting film, called The Judge, and it it, uh, features... Um, Khulud al-Fakir, who uh, is the, was the first female judge in the Sharia courts in Palestine. And a very interesting personal story and very interesting issues uh, surrounding her. You're welcome to join this conversation, if you'd like, by email to upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com. And uh, we have another oh, 10 minutes or so with uh, Erica Kahn. Um, Erica Kahn, I wanted to uh, want to talk about some of these uh, issues. Um, I know that... Uh, Judge Khulud, uh, in her uh, practice as an attorney, did a lot of re- representing uh, women who uh, uh, encountered domestic violence. I wonder what the situation there is in Palestine. Do do such women have sufficient recourse? Uh, are there st- are there problems? Uh, improvements? Yeah, I mean, domestic violence is is an issue all over the world, and in Palestine, I think um, I will say that. Just having Judge Hulud as a woman judge and other women following in her footsteps as judges has provided an opportunity for more women to come forward with their with their accounts. There's it's it's really taboo to press charges against your husband, and so there's um, there's kind of a. a a gap between an actual divorce that takes place as a result of domestic violence and then seeing that in the criminal courts. So a woman may ask to divorce her husband and she'll be able to get all of her rights because um, the husband has has abused her. Um, but oftentimes she doesn't further pursue that in the in the criminal courts. Though we have seen a rise of, of women actually reporting these accounts. Um, and I think a lot of that is due to... Um, you know, all these amazing women's groups that um, now are uh, really focusing on this, and as well as Judge Hulud and her colleagues being women judges um, and providing that platform for women to come forward. What about issues surrounding polygamy? Polygamy is allowed under under Islam, I, I'm, it's my vague understanding. Yeah, it's a, it's a matter of interpretation. I mean, what, uh, what the Qur'an actually says is marry um, one, two, three, or four wives if you treat them equally, but if you cannot treat them equally, then only one. And so this came specifically out of a time in which women were abandoned after 
war and actually needed to be taken into families. Their fam, you know, their husbands, their their families had been killed in war, and so this is coming out of a time where women were kind of adopted into family and taken as additional wives to to help protect them. So that's not really applicable in today's age and time. And a lot of people say, you know, well, I treat. I can treat people 100% equally, but a lot of other people say that's impossible. You cannot emotionally feel the exact same for one human being as another human being. Um, so, according to the law, you actually have to have 100% equality. So that's in the you know the number of of times you sleep together in the square footage of a home, and that's like nearly impossible. I cannot even imagine that. Um, so it's a matter of interpretation, but one of the one of the kind of parameters that Hulud and her colleagues were able to to spearhead and get past was that the husband must notify his first wife in advance because previously that was not a law. So must notify his wife in advance before taking another before taking another wife. And if she disagrees with that, then she can divorce and, and keep all of her rights. And also women can put that in their marriage contracts, can be explicitly clear about everything. I don't want my husband to take another wife. And I also want to dictate where I'm going to where I'm going to live, what I want to do with my life, what profession, education how many kids I want to have. I mean, it really, you can get down to the nitty gritty details in your prenuptial agreement, which I think a lot of people don't know in the Middle East. And of course, here in the U.S. are so, um, it's it's still taboo to have a have a prenuptial agreement. Mm. Um, so th- this, this is, you're talking about Palestine. Is, would this, uh, would women have this ability other places? I guess part of this is also norms and traditions. Yeah, it is. It's um, it's it's really taboo for people to put conditions in their marriage contract. I mean, Judge Hulud specifically asks women and educates women outside of the courtroom that they have the right to do this. But it's so. I mean, I I was talking to a friend of mine here in the U.S. the other day, and they said, you know, we're we don't know. I don't know how to bring up a prenuptial agreement. You know, how do how do I even bring up this because it's so taboo even here in our society in America. Mm-hmm. Um, and that scene where she comes into this meeting with the with the women, you can just watch her eyes. She's very focused, very intense. It does seem like uh, one of Judge Kulud's uh, main goals is its education, you know, trying to push the norms, trying to push the, tr- trying to push uh, a new understanding, new interpretation of uh, not only Sharia law, but uh, you know, but but w- what women can do. Absolutely, yeah. You don't see other judges taking this on. I mean, you know, one one of the things that's so remarkable about Kulud, and you see in the film, is she's she's. Um, doing neighbor visits and uh, emergency calls with with her community, and you know helping give legal advice on the side. Of course, she's not actually, you know, adjudicating those cases, um, but it's crucial for her that that Palestinian society, as a whole, has a better understanding of the Sharia courts. Um, and you know that they have access to legal resources. You know, no other judge is really doing that. Another issue is uh, an attempt to raise the marriage age. What uh, what age are, are are girls able to marry in Palestine? At this I point? believe it's now been changed to eighteen. Okay, yeah. Which is and and as I mentioned before, uh, you know, there's until quite recently in some states it's been. 
um, for some people, uncomfortably young, right? And there's been some some attempts. So there again, you know, we, we might uh, look across the ocean and think, oh, we're superior, but uh, there are. Uh, I want to go there next. Uh, what what do you think are there some areas where Palestine for women uh, situation is better than the U.S. Uh, equal uh, less? What are what are some uh, some concerns that are the same and and that are different? That's a really good question. I think that um, we. I think it's actually pretty similar. We're dealing with a, a lot of the same issues, and to me, it all it really comes down to representation. Uh, it's not just in the legal profession, but I'll, I'll I'll speak about that industry right now. Is that we will never have justice within our law until we have equal representation. We will never have gender justice until we have equal representation. And the law will never actually serve the people in which it's supposed to serve without equal representation. Women, people of color, other underrepresented groups have to be at the forefront of implementing and interpreting law. I mean, when, you know, you see there's there's a couple of scenes when you when you see how few women judges there are compared to male judges. I, I think of our Supreme Court. It's very, very similar. Mm-hmm. I want to talk uh, a bit about uh, Judge Kulud's uh, parents. Yes, you, you uh, interview, especially you talk with uh, with the father, um, and he has a very interesting quote. Or you could talk about this. He says, "You know, d- the boys, you raise them; they can go out and get jobs, but for a woman, uh, here's his quote: for a woman, education is her weapon." Yes. Yeah, I love when he says that education is is a weapon. My primary goal was to arm them with education. And that's so profound to me. I mean, I think that that's a, a really universal message. And I remember shooting that scene and um, you see how the depth of the relationship between Hulud and her parents and specifically Hulud and her father and um, and how much he is, he's so proud of her. Um you know, I don't think that her father is an anomaly, although I do think he's a very special person and their relationship is very special. Um, when you look at Hulud's husband and how he's supporting her and and helping raise the kids and, you know, her sons are cooking in the in the kitchen, we have this idea that that men in the Middle East aren't like open to to backing these you know amazing women or you know taking on some of the domestic responsibilities and that just is not true and men are constantly pushing women to be to be more educated to to rise to the tops of their professions and i think that that's a really beautiful thing that we typically don't get to see yeah, i was going to ask you if you if you thought he was an outlier you you say he's he's not that atypical which is heartening, right? Yes, absolutely. I I do think he's a very special person. And I do think that that quote, you know, education as a weapon really resonates with so many groups around the world. And, um, and it is a weapon, you know, we don't know what we don't know. And the more we we educate ourselves, the more we're empowered, and the more we can achieve justice for ourselves. Judge Kulu's uh, mother, she, she doesn't speak as much, but uh, she's obviously very proud of her daughter. Um, she says, well, he, she could become a top minister. Um, uh, just look at Hillary Clinton, she says. Yes. <laughs> yes, it was it was interesting. I mean, this film has been, we were shooting from 2012 on, and I think that a lot of, um, you know, it's so interesting to see how much American politics are followed around around the world. And, and people in Palestine were really closely watching our election. And um, 
you know, for for a lot of women, it was a, a symbol that uh, that women around the world could be in these high leadership positions. Um, so that was a constant conversation that was happening on the ground. Um, I'm interested by this quote from your director's notes. You say, I'm captivated by the intersect and tension between religion, culture, and identity. And of course, that's your you know sweet spot here with the, with this film, The Judge. I wonder, uh, maybe you expanded that. Anything you'd like to say about that? This this intersecting tension between religion, culture, and identity. Yeah, I mean, I I grew up here in Salt Lake City, coming from an interfaith family, and for me, it was, um, you know, I didn't have uh, an LDS background at all, and there was a, a, a tension between, you know, culturally feeling feeling Jewish and culturally um, being a part of the the Salt Lake community and not identifying in a religious way, and I'm really struggling with how to identify myself in in this time where I feel like religion really defined who you were, and I think that that's where that interest comes from, and you see that in some of my my previous films as well, with in Football We Trust, struggling with some of the re- religious doctrine and some of the like cultural norms and how to identify and how to break free of some of these norms and how to fulfill the American dream and and these cultural ideas that are so ingrained. And with the judge, I mean, I think that there's this idea, and I even going into this was was a bit naive, that it's very difficult to work for change within a religious framework. And how do you create this identity as a feminist working within, uh, a, in my mind, a construct, this framework that is that is rigid? And I think Hulud really changed that opinion for me and kind of opened my eyes to be able to see that you can work for change within any framework. And the religious courts have such a rich history and they're not going away. And they, you know, have the ability to be reformed and to be revised and to adjust to modern times and how to deal with things like DNA and social media. I mean, that those are things that we're grappling with all over Um but for I think Khulud, you know, there was there was a time for her where she was really questioning, who am I as a feminist? Who am I as as someone who's pushing boundaries within the system? And I wanted to capture that kind of conflict because that's a conflict that I have that I have felt and that I like to really explore in my work. Just a couple more questions, um, Judge Khulud. Uh, what are her future goals? Keep keep in this work, I guess. What's uh, what's on the horizon for her? Her goal is to become the first woman chief justice, and that would be in, incredible. Maybe the judge, too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you've, uh, you've spent significant time in the, the Middle East, at Palestine, and uh, I think you attended he- Hebrew University. I don't know if you yes. got a degree there. Um, I'm interested in, um, do we uh, here in the West, in Utah, have any misunderstandings, misperceptions you'd like to correct or or what would you like to tell us about that part of the world well i think that the judge does a a a really interesting job at at presenting a narrative of women that we typically don't get to see it's very rare that we see strong muslim women who are at the forefront of change within their communities in the middle east i think that so oftentimes we're exposed to women in the middle east as victims and that just is not true that is inaccurate women are at the forefront of change and have been serving their communities for hundreds and hundreds of years. And then also, you know, we, we don't get to see Palestine as this rich, beautiful cultural mecca that it, had always, it has always been. And so I really 
hope that it provides different imagery of Palestine and, and helps transport audiences into this world that we typically are not given access to. And Which, go ahead. No, go ahead. And then I think to in in closing about you know what I want audiences to take away is that Sharia is a very nuanced system, just like any other legal body. And I hope that audiences come away with a different understanding or maybe, you know, a thought provoking kind of backdrop that encourages people to learn more about about the Sharia. What's your next project? My next project is called Belly of the Beast. And uh, I can't speak too much about it right now, but hopefully it'll be finished later this year or early next. One quote just in closing here that I'd love from your notes is the you know the, the essentially the power paraphrasing you the power of uh, not taking uh, no for an answer um, that had to deal with the problems of filming but also the financing which <laughs> many years and I guess part part of it you financed and then finally finally you got some the financing you needed. Yes. I think that when I started this process, it was it was a, a tremendous challenge to get people to see the importance of this story. And once I had enough footage to be able to show, visually show people what a courtroom looked like, how Khulud, you know, acts on a daily basis and, and has this kind of larger than life persona, this charisma that can be captured in cinema. Um, that was the moment where I think the funding landscape really changed. But I will say that our Salt Lake community was supportive of this project from day one. And although the film industry took, you know, took a couple of years to to come around on the project, it's really, I mean, we I had photo exhibits here at, at galleries um, that helped raise funding for the film. And individual donors and family foundations here in Salt Lake have always been supportive of this film. And, and that's something that I'm really, really grateful for. The film is called The Judge. And uh, it's the new film from Salt Lake City-based Emmy-winning director Erica Cohn, who has joined us from KCPW Studios in Salt Lake City. Our thanks to them. Erica Cohn, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. And thanks for listening to Access Utah. Utah Public Radio is a statewide service of Utah State University and the College of Humanities and Social Sciences. KUSR Logan, KUSK Vernal, KUSL Richfield, KUST Moab, KCEU Price, KUSUFM Logan. Also heard at upr.org.